welcome you again to Christ City. Um, my name is Andrea. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, glad to be uh, with you here in Minor. Uh, glad to have folks on our YouTube stream as well. I, I just want to, I just want to say, there feels like a, it's like a good vibe in here this morning. Yeah, there's a good vibe. Um, maybe it's the weather. Maybe it's that we're all together. The kids are here with us this morning. Um, but I'm feeling it. I'm feeling this in-person vibe this morning. Um, our kids are going to be with us uh, through the rest of this service. And kids, I have, thank you. <laughs> I have a project for you to take on while we're talking and, and while you're listening. So it's an it's a active listening project. It's both. Ready? So there's paper and there's coloring things, yeah? yeah. So today, what, what are we talking about? What did we talk about in Kid City today? Rowan. We did talk about Jesus. What more specifically did we talk about? Yeah, just shout it out. Which is also known as prayer. Yes, prayer. I would love for you at the table, the kids at the table, we're adults if you'd like to go get coloring as well. We're not um, leaving you out of this. Um, I would love to see what you, um, as you creatively think about um, with your crayons and with your paper, maybe you could draw some ways that you think that we can pray. Maybe on one side of the paper it can be, how do people pray? How do we pray? Maybe you could draw some pictures of that. And maybe on the other side, you could draw or write down some things we can pray for. Yeah? Cool? Can I get like a thumbs up or something? Cool. All right. Um, adults, again, you're welcome to do that as well if that helps you if that helps you engage. Um, we're just going to jump right in this morning. So we've been in a series since Easter um, called Living the Resurrection. And we've been asking uh, very practically, what happens after the resurrection of Jesus? What happens? And we're specifically framing this question through the lens of Christ City's core values. So those are justice, inclusion, prayer, presence, and creativity. So while we're looking at these all specifically in this context, in our context, we're not alone in this pursuit. We stand in a long history of Christians asking this same question, what happens after the resurrection of Jesus? From the very first disciples to those all over the world, contemporary with us who are still just trying to figure it out. And as those who put their faith in Jesus were invited to experience resurrection with Jesus. His resurrection has implications for us. And this series is about how the resurrection of Jesus intersects with history, with our lives, and with the world. In this series, we want to be encouraged to, and challenged to become a people who take this seriously, who don't stay in the tomb with Jesus, but follow him into new life in this world, in this time. So we've looked at what Jesus' resurrection means for us in our pursuit of justice a couple of weeks ago, how we participate in God's movement to right the things that are wrong, to remove the barriers that inhibit all humanity and creation from thriving. And then last week, Pastor Justin preached about inclusion, so how the scope of resurrection life is so much deeper and so much wider than we prefer most of the time. So those have been the past couple of weeks. Today, as you have heard, we are looking at prayer. So 
Prayer might seem like an obvious value to a church. I don't know. Um, but if I'm being honest, it's still one that I think that we struggle with. I think sometimes we tend to think of prayer as so obvious, so um, basic that we can actually overlook it. Um, we, and, and then we can undermine its foundational importance. We're like, well, we all pray. It's church. We pray. Um, but we can actually overlook it. I, I also think that on the flip side, sometimes the idea of prayer can be very overwhelming. Like, what are we doing when we pray? What are we accomplishing? What does it mean to pray? Uh, which way do we pray? Who do we pray with? What words do we use to pray? What does prayer do? Does prayer do anything? I feel like justice and inclusion seem to have like a practical grasp when we're talking about living the resurrection, but prayer can seem so much more abstract and just out there. And so today, as we continue to, to figure out what this means, what does it mean to live the resurrection, I'd like to do two things together. I want us to engage with some of these basic questions about prayer. It seems basic, but let's do it. Some of these questions, so I want us to do that. And I want us to pray together. Um, so that's what we're going to do today. That's where we're headed. So we are looking at the book of Acts to help shape our discussion through this series. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm finding a lot of solidarity with the disciples and the early church um, who were in their time doing the same thing that we're doing now or trying to do, which is figuring out what it means to live the resurrection. What is supposed to happen after Jesus resurrected and then ascended into heaven, leaving us here behind. In the Gospels, the disciples were already very uncertain of what Jesus meant by this while he was with them. They were confused a lot about what Jesus was doing. We see time and time again the disciples failing to grasp and understand the newness of Jesus's incarnation, the, the newness of his ministry, of his death, and of his resurrection. Nothing has gone according to their expectations. So they thought Jesus was going to come and be this political messiah that they had dreamed of. They were that he was going to use military might to restore Israel out from underneath the oppressive thumb of the Roman Empire. But instead he preached humility and he preached love of enemy. And they thought that Jesus's ministry was like building this momentum that meant something that was going to be lasting and then they watch him get arrested and they watch him get executed by the state. And then they thought that a sealed tomb meant the end. That what they had hoped in, what they had hoped for, what they had worked for, what they had participated in was gone. But then Jesus arose. No wonder they were confused. <laughs> Their bubbles of certainty were just continuously being burst over and over again. And that was while Jesus was with them. Our text for today is one we've heard before in this series. Uh, Justin opened the series a few weeks ago with the beginning of the book of Acts in chapter 1. And we're going to look at some of this same text today. This is Acts chapter 1. After Jesus' suffering, he presented himself, presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
So as a, as a reminder, the book of Acts opens after Jesus has been resurrected. He's appeared to the disciples. He's about to ascend to heaven. He's about to return to God, and he's reminding the disciples that he's not leaving them alone. So when he's gone, he's going to send the Spirit to guide them. Now, this is not the first time that Jesus has promised the Holy Spirit or the Advocate to the disciples. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is having a conversation with the disciples before his death, and he's telling them that he is going away. Now, they don't understand what this means, but he promises them the Spirit here in this conversation too. So real quick, in, chap in chapter 14 of John, Jesus, Jesus is talking to them and he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? I want to just pause here for a second and give a shout out to Thomas. I love the sentiment that he shares here. I feel like it's like the official slogan of being a human trying to live out the resurrection. Jesus says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas immediately is like, no, we don't. <laughs> he says, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Like, I pictured this as like a meme with the desperation face emoji. Like, how do we, I don't, we don't know the way, Jesus. You say we do and we don't. But Jesus reassures him here that he does know the way and that he will. So a few verses later, he says, I have said these things to you while I, while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. This, is, this promise in John that, that Jesus is making is the same promise that Jesus is making after his death and resurrection in our Acts passage this morning. God had promised to send a helper, an advocate, and the helper was going to show up soon. Thomas's question is the same sentiment I imagine that they're all feeling in Acts as Jesus is gone and they're waiting for what's next. So they've just been through this whole experience of walking with Jesus, all of this uncertainty, no idea what they're doing and where they're going, and their uncertainty is only continuing here. They don't know exactly what Jesus means. They don't know exactly what they're looking for. They only know that they are waiting for a helper, for the Spirit. They know they can't move forward without the Spirit that's been promised. So the text continues in Acts. They return to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All of these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. So they're all here. They're standing in this moment where Jesus is gone. There's uncertainty. There's desperation. And in their waiting... What does it say that they were doing? They were praying. They prayed. And I think here is a word for us, church, 
I said this in my sermon a couple weeks ago, but the, the gap between what the early church in Acts is trying to do and what we're trying to do may not be as large as we think. Those who are gathered in our text here are recognizing that living the resurrection means not knowing exactly what comes next because it's new. What's next? How will they know the way? They're waiting for the Spirit. And church, is this not where we find ourselves too? We are coming out of this long season of isolation in a pandemic that none of us have ever experienced before. It's changed everything. It's changed church. There's uncertainty all around at every level. I don't know about you, but I, I'm finding myself constantly asking, what's next? What now? In, in almost every sphere of my life. What is next? What do we do now? Where do we go now? I believe this is where Christ City is right now. We're asking, what's next? What now? And we're waiting for the Spirit. We know we cannot move forward without the Spirit of God, but we're not exactly sure where the Spirit is or what the Spirit is saying. And the church in Acts finds themselves here too. They're in between a promise and its fulfillment. And in their uncertainty, in the face of their unknown future, in their desperation to know the way they pray. And this continues to be a pattern for the disciples and for the early church. The book of Acts mentions prayer 32 times. That's a lot. Prayer precedes many of the major events in the book of Acts, including Pentecost, um, acts of evangelism, miracles, resuscitation, healing, the release of disciples from prison, and from persecution. These are all preceded by explicit lines that say, and then they prayed. They prayed and then. They pray in times of crisis. They pray when they're making decisions. They pray when they're establishing leaders. They pray together as a whole church. They pray as smaller groups. They pray as individuals. The book of Acts tracks the movement of the Holy Spirit, which is always new. It's unpredictable. And the disciples and the church remain in this state of uncertainty, even as they become more familiar with the Spirit's movement, and still they pray. What then, church, is the call for us as we wait for the Spirit in our time, in our context, in our lives, in our church, in our city, in the world? Living the resurrection is no less uncertain. The future is no less unknown to us. And prayer, then, is no less relevant. There are many ways that we could define prayer, and they would range from deeply theological to very, very practical. I won't list all of those now. But for our purposes today, this is how we're going to be defining prayer, talking about prayer. Prayer is constantly communing with God, and prayer is calling out to God to fulfill God's promises. So it's constantly communing with God, and it's calling out to God to fulfill God's promises. This is what the church in Acts is doing here. Prayer is our communion with God. It's a call upon God to fulfill God's promises. As the early church has walked alongside Jesus while he was with them physically, 
they seek communion with him when he's gone physically too. When they pray, they're in the middle of waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise to send the Holy Spirit. And their prayers are calling for God to fulfill the promise that God made. We pray as part of living the resurrection because prayer is founded upon Jesus' resurrection as a promise of God. The resurrection confirms to us that God cares about what happens to humanity. The resurrection speaks volumes about God's desire for the good of humanity, for our flourishing. It speaks volumes about God's desire that anything that comes in opposition to that flourishing is to be defeated and destroyed. The resurrection confirms to us that God is powerful. Not only powerful, that God is the most powerful. That God is capable. And living the resurrection means that we call upon this power in prayer. God is capable of defeating death. God did that. And we call on God to do it again, and to do it again, and to do it again in all the places where death still lurks. The resurrection confirms to us that God desires to be near to us. God has come near in the person of Jesus, and God promises the ever-present spirit. God is always calling us closer. And in prayer, we get a glimpse of this. God calls us to not stay where we are. God calls us to move forward, to move in closer, to get in step with the Spirit. Prayer is communing with God through God's Spirit. And it's calling upon God to fulfill the promises God has made. So as we are trying to define prayer this morning... I think it's important to just take a minute and name a few things that prayer is not. So understanding what prayer is not is just as important as understanding what prayer is. And there are many things that we could say here about what prayer is not. But I want to call out three specific things this morning that prayer is not. Okay, first, prayer is not like pushing the buttons of a vending machine. I, I wish it was. <laughs> But there are a lot of ways that the church, that Christians have historically used prayer in this way. The prosperity gospel claims prayer in this way. You just have to pray more or in this particular way and what you want is going to come to you. But we don't control God. We don't control the movement of God's spirit when we pray. That's not what prayer is, okay? It's not like pushing a vending machine. Secondly, prayer does not give us all the answers. There are ways in which prayer can sometimes leave us more confused. Amen? We need to concede that there is mystery here. There will continue to be things that we don't understand. Prayer does not give us all the answers. The last thing I'll say, the third thing I'll say about what prayer is not. Prayer is not always peaceful. While God does promise us peace, not every prayer is peaceful. In fact, I would say that prayer is often very disrupting. As we live the resurrection, as we follow the Spirit, as we call out to God to fulfill God's promises, we should expect holy disruption. Prayer is not always peaceful. 
it often disrupts. Prayer is powerful, and it's right for us to name what it is and what it is not. Again, I could say many things about that, but this morning, that's where we are. In defining what prayer is and what it means for us as we practice resurrection, I considered this morning offering you a list of ways to pray, um, the practical part of praying, how to pray. There are so, so many ways to pray. We've heard a bunch of those from the children this morning, which I appreciated. And while I think it's helpful to share prayer practices, um, I don't think that's how best to spend our time this morning. Um, I'll leave a few resources um, in our podcast notes, in our video description of this sermon. Um, we preached a series on prayer last year. Uh, there are some other tried and true practices that I found helpful and that Christ City has too, so I'll include some of those in our notes. So we've talked about some things that prayer is not, but what I want to leave us with this morning are three things that prayer is. Three things that prayer is. So first, prayer is relational. Prayer is relational. Communing with God is not a one-way deal. Either way. It's talking and it's listening. Which of those is harder? Mm. In any healthy relationship, the underlying context of communication is an understanding of who I am and who the other person is. <laughs> Prayer is relational, and the context of communing with God, of communicating with God, is who I am and who God is. And there's this acknowledgement of presence in prayer, that God is always with us, even as we often seek God, God's presence in prayer. When we ask where God is, God, where are you? Or when we invite God to meet with us. As we live the resurrection, we operate in the mystery that sometimes God moves and we respond, and sometimes we move and God responds. And while there isn't necessarily a formula to this, in fact, formulas sometimes get us into trouble, there is a relationship. Prayer is a means of connection between us and God through the Spirit. It is relational. The second thing that prayer is, what prayer does, prayer leads to renewal. Renewal. When we pray, we do not remain the same. The presence of the Spirit of God is disrupting. It's disrupting. And the presence of the Spirit of God is always transforming. And this can be a hard spot for us. I think a lot of the time when we pray, we, want, we do want things to change. We want our circumstances to change. We want the people around us to change. But it's harder, it's much harder to actively seek out and desire transformation for and within ourselves. In her book called Listening for God, Renita Weems writes, I wanted God to speak to me, but I didn't want God to confront me. We want things to change, but we don't realize that we change when we pray. We don't stay the same. We're transformed even just through the act of prayer itself. When we call upon God to come through on God's promises, there's this element of dependence that we are proclaiming. God, I'm limited. I do not have the power to move or change this circumstance. I don't have the power to, to change this situation that's being faced, but you do. 
God uses prayer to transform us. And the resurrection was the ultimate transformation. And as we practice resurrection in prayer, we can expect to be transformed. So the third thing, the last thing that prayer is, prayer is resistance. Prayer is resistance. Friends, to pray is to resist accepting the way things are as the way that things will always be. I read this uh, in a commentary this week. I thought this was so good. Prayer is, in essence, rebellion. Rebellion against the world and its fallenness. It is the absolute and undying refusal to accept as normal what is pervasively abnormal. Prayer is the refusal of every agenda, every scheme, every interpretation that is at odds with the norm as originally established by God. Prayer is resistance. In the ways the world overwhelms us, how injustice, tragedy, just the pace of life, the state of things, how it overwhelms us to pray is to resist. Prayer stands in resistance even to our own tendencies to try and take control. When we look towards the unknown future, when we are exhausted by uncertainty, even as we follow the Spirit in our desperation, we are always tempted to turn to our own strength, to our own power to our own devices to make the future seem more manageable, to take things into our own hands and make our own way instead of waiting for the Spirit. Our city, our church, we're made for action. We've got power, we've got people, we have talent, we have gifts, we're ready to take it all on. But let us be reminded by our text today that before Jesus commissions the disciples, before he gives the great commission to go into all the world, to make more disciples, to be witnesses to what they have seen, before all of that, Jesus tells him to stay put and wait for the Spirit. In verse 4, while staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which we know is the promise of the Holy Spirit. To pray is to resist the way the world tempts us to either give up or to take matters into our own hands. And living the resurrection requires act after act of resistance. Prayer is resistance. To end our time together today, I want to do something that um, we don't normally do. I, I want to take just a little bit of time to practice living the resurrection together in this way by doing this, by praying. I feel like it would seem really incomplete to preach about praying and then not actually engage in prayer together. Um, so that's what we're going to do. Um, so I'd like to lead us in two brief prayer practices this morning before we take communion together. So the first is going to be individual, just you on your own in your seat. And the second will be together. It'll be communal. Now, this might feel a little bit weird. That's okay. We're just going to lean into it. It's okay. We're practicing. We're practicing resurrection, right? I just, I encourage you to engage where you can and be open to the Spirit. Just engage where you can. So for our first prayer practice this morning, I'm going to have you um, just sit in a comfortable way in your seat. 
Just settle your body into your chair. We're going to be using uh, a prayer from the 14th century Christian mystic Julian of Norwich. This is called a body prayer. We pray in a body. We pray in a context. We show up to the relationship, bringing everything that we are, and so does God. And as a reminder of that, we're going to pray a prayer with our bodies and our minds this morning. So I want you to um, sit in a comfortable way. You're welcome to close your eyes or leave them open. And as we begin, I'd like you to take three deep breaths in and out. So inhale and exhale. And inhale and exhale. And inhale and exhale. So for this first part of the prayer, I'd like for you to open your hands. You can keep them at your waist, around your waist or on your lap. And they're open to receive. We're going to await. Our hands are open as we await God's presence, however it may come to you. Await. I want you to take your hands and I want you to reach them up with them still open above your head if you're able. This symbolizes that we are allowing. I want you to allow a sense of God's presence to come and be what it is. Allow. I want you to bring your hands to your heart and cup it towards your body. This is to symbolize acceptance. We're accepting as a gift whatever comes or doesn't come. We're accepting that we don't know everything, that we're not in charge. Sit in your body and accept. Lastly, let's stretch our hands out, ready to respond. This symbolizes attending. Attend to what you are called to. Be willing to be present and be God's love in the world, however God calls you to do that. Attend. Friends, we'll sit here for just a moment. What is God asking you to pay attention to? To what is God asking you to attend?
Lord, we ask you to meet us here. Draw our attention to what you want us to pay attention to. Amen. Amen. The second prayer practice we're going to do this morning is communal prayer. It's not complicated or fancy. We don't just pray alone. We do pray alone, and we don't just pray alone. So what we're going to do this morning, in just a minute, I'll tell you when to go. We're going to gather in smaller groups just here in your seats. You can turn around. Um, you can lean forward. You can uh, talk to the people that you came with. You can talk to somebody new. We're going to join in groups where we are. You can introduce yourselves if you don't know one another. And then we're going to pray two different things. You can do this however you want. We're going to pray prayers of praise, and we're going to pray prayers of petition. And we're going to do this together. I know this might feel weird, and if you're new, welcome. <laughs> so I'm going to encourage you right now to find a group to pray with, and I'll prompt us to begin. Our kids and teens, you guys can group up too if you want to. So as you introduce yourselves, we're going to enter into a time of prayers of praise. I would encourage you to just begin praying. You can popcorn prayer if you want to together. You don't have to explain what it is. Um, we're just going to have a couple minutes for each of these types of prayers. Prayers of praise. Friends, this is us naming who God is. We're naming who's showing up and we're remembering what God has done. So a few minutes for prayers of praise.
Friends, I want to transition us to a time of prayers of petition. I want to transition us into a time of prayers of petition. This is a time when we call on God to do the thing that we know that God can do. We ask God to do it again. Pray prayers of petition for yourself, for our church, for our city. Prayers of petition. God, we pray to you as a risen Lord. We ask that you would make us faithful followers of the spirit of your resurrection. We ask that you would grant to us that we might be renewed. We ask that our lives might serve as signs of the transforming power of your love. Call us, God, use us for the renewal of your city, for the thriving of all creation. We praise you, God, and we bring these petitions to you. Knowing that you have the power, that you can do it. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.